helpless against the powerful villain are hopeful again. Why? Because of themselves? Absolutely not. It is because of the one who fights for them. They are in tune with Superman's capabilities to handle the situation. They know his power to destroy those who oppose him. They know his love and protection for them, and they stand secure in that. My friends, we have a better Superman. We have one that is greater than Superman. We have one that we call the God-man. We have the God-man who is able to do what? All things. And therefore, it is my goal to point you this morning to the one that is better than Superman. The one that we might put our hope in and march into the new year with a rock-solid hope. My argument this morning is God is our greatest hope because of all he has done, given, and accomplished in order to bring us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that again so everyone knows where we're going. We may take some stops here and there. And just in case you stop off somewhere and get lost, you know where to find me. All right. So here's my argument this morning. My argument is to make clear for you that God is your greatest hope because of all he has done, given, and accomplished in order to bring you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And it reads, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Paul has brought us to a place in the book of Romans that is monumental to the Christian faith. This text gives us wings to fly and soar in the greatness of who God is. This is where I want to root your hearts this morning in the rich biblical soil of this promise. God is for us. There is incalculable confidence for your hearts in this text. There is immeasurable love for you, Christian, in this text. And if you would indulge me for a second, as I want to give you a brief overview of Romans chapter 1 through 7. I find this necessary in order for us to truly comprehend the immeasurable and incomprehensible worth of this text before us. For the past seven chapters, Paul has navigated his readers through deep theological waters. Paul has articulated for us the power of the gospel. Here in Romans, Paul helps us to see that the gospel is the righteousness of God. He makes this very clear in chapters 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Church, are you ashamed of the gospel this morning? Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, that's everybody, that's everyone, that's everything, not everything, but everything that's that that's larger than everything. That's everything for in the for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
He then continues to depict for us in chapters one, starting at verse 18 and running through chapters three, verse 20. He says how God is righteous in his wrath toward sinners, that God's wrath is just and the only right response towards those who have rebelled against him is his wrath. But nevertheless, he doesn't leave us there. He reveals to us on the other end, God's saving righteousness through the death of his son. God putting Christ to death that he might forgive sinners. Do you feel the weight of that church? Because it would be unjust for God to just acquit us without sufficient payment for our sins. This payment, the death of his son, is applied to all those who believe by faith. So God, needing to be just in his position of acquitting sinners, sends his son, Jesus Christ, to take their place. We call this substitutionary atonement. So God, in order to be just and righteous, he must pay your debt in full. He can't just forgive you. He can't just let you off the hook. He just can't let you go because he is a righteous judge. He is a just judge. And so in order for him to be righteous, he solves the dilemma through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is applied to all those who believe by faith. And lastly, in chapters five through eight, He illustrates the hope we have as a result of righteousness by faith. The triumph of grace over the power of sin and the power of the law. Paul has now reached the apex of all these truths. Now that he has reached the top of Mount Everest, he begins to proclaim hope. He begins to say with a peculiar boldness about himself with an MC Hammer swag. You can't touch this. Listen to the text in Romans 8, 31 through 32. Y'all didn't know I was going to slip MC Hammer in there. You can't touch this. You can't touch his children. You can't touch what God has protected. <laughs> you crazy. What then should we say to these things? What things? All these things that God has accomplished through the gospel. All that he has done to rescue you from his wrath. All that he has done to call you sons and daughters. God has made you in his own believer. What shall we say in light of this? Here's what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So my first point, Christians, is that we must realize that we have enemies. We must first begin to see that as believers, we have a myriad of enemies marshaled against us. Um, Paul begins with a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Imagine if Paul would have asked, who is against us? All of us in this room would stand to our feet to answer that question because we are we are aware that we have many enemies against us. Why? Because. Because we can very easily point out enemies in our life. All believers face the daily battle of opposition. And what are some of the enemies we know to be against us? The first enemy I want to point out is we know that Satan is against us. Oftentimes in the Bible, he mentions him as being the adversary. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be sober minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We see here that Satan is devoted to destroying Christians. You need to know that you have a well-organized and devoted enemy that desires to devour you. And oh, how that should make us pray, church. And oh, how that should make us be watchful. There's a sense that we move and we speak in a different way and we take to a different depth of seriousness when we understand that someone is organized to destroy our very lives. So be watchful. We are not playing games, church. There is a real opposition. Satan wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy men. He wants to destroy brotherhood. He wants to destroy leadership. In church, if we think for one second that this isn't real, we are in for a big surprise. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your church. Pray for your households. Because there is an enemy located in our, in our vicinity ready to destroy us at every, any given second. So the first enemy is Satan. The second enemy is the world. We know that the world is against us. We know that the world hates us. When, when you as a believer really live your life to the glory of God, everyone will not like you. Amen. Everyone will not think that you're cute. Everyone will not want you on their team. When God saves us, he didn't do it so we could continue to look like the world, but different. God gave you a new heart, calls you to be born again. And as a result, you begin to look a little bit like your father. And the issue is, is that the world hates God in anything that looks like him. Why? The world loves its own glory and fame and esteems itself beyond God, above God. Their hearts can't contain the glory of God because they are too puffed up on their own glory. So don't be surprised then when the world hates you because they first hated me, says Christ. In 1 John 5, 4, he says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith you'll be persecuted for loving christ more than life but persevere you'll be persecuted for believing that marriage is between a man and a woman but persevere you'll be persecuted for praying but persevere you'll spend we spend too much time trying to be like when we are called to be different church god has called us to be different God has called us to be unique. And what comes with that is is persecution. Now, I'm not saying look for a reason to start trouble. By all means, let us live at peace with our fellow man where we can. Nevertheless, we must realize that everybody is not going to accept us. We are called to reconcile with the gospel the very people that will kill us. For we were once like them. And the third enemy. Itself. And I would dare to say this morning, the biggest enemy we have is ourselves. No one has done more wrong to Dexter than Dexter. It has become clear to me more and more through the help of the spirit that I am my worst enemy. The only reason any of us go to hell isn't because of Satan, but self. It is my own sin that brings harm on me. Church, this heart is full of sin selfishness and it's all about me and if it wasn't for the grace of God I will continue in my idolatry 
And oftentimes in this journey, I understand that what Paul means when he says, what a wretched man I am. It is, is there anyone in the room today that knows what it is to wrestle with your own heart? Is there anyone in the room that knows what it is to wrestle with your own sin? Have you ever got tired of yourself? I know you've been tired of other people, but have you ever been tired of yourself? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, I'm sick of you? You keep causing all kind of drama and all kinds of problems. Have you ever took responsibility for your own sin, for your own shortcoming? We so often deflect our own issues on other people. It's easy to point the finger, but it's hard to point the finger at yourself. We have to learn the depth of our depravity. We cannot afford to be deceived by our own hearts. If you wish to spare yourself heartache and pain in this life, learn the disposition of your own heart. As Jonathan Edwards said, of all the knowledge that can be ever obtained, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. My friends, do you feel the weight of all these agents of destruction all engulfed around your soul with one mission to take you out? Listen to Paul in Romans 835. He says, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as what? As sheep to be slaughtered. This is why Christ said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Know this, believer. It will cost you greatly to follow Jesus. The world is against you. Satan is against you. Your indwelling sin is against you. And many of you in this room today feel the weight of this. It seems like the harder you try, the worse things get. The moment your feet hit the ground, you can't catch a break. And many of you in this room have likely at times cried yourself to sleep. But listen to the words of John Piper. Darkness comes in the middle of it. The future looks blank. The temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You are in good company. And you will argue with yourself that there is no way forward. But with God, nothing is impossible. He has more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits than you can conceive. Wait. Pray without ceasing. Hope. We are not playing games, church. People are hurting. The Christian walk is not a bed of roses. It is difficult. There is opposition against us. And this word slaughter here that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 verse 35 here in the Greek means butchery of animal for food or sacrifice. And he uses it figuratively here for man. Paul uses this word slaughter to express the Christian experience. That we are like animals that are being slaughtered. This is the agony that he's feeling for the sake of Christ. And yet we live in a country that preaches that if you get Jesus, all of your comforts will come. All of your heartache will go away. But the reality is, if you put this verse in context, Paul is saying that there is real suffering that happens, Christian. There's real heartache that happens, Christian. Following Christ does not spell easy. The symbol for Christianity is not a pillow, it's a cross. So let us feel that. Let us slay this false teaching of Christ as a means to something else. 
when he is the end. He is not a means to something else. It gets no greater than Christ. This is real. As John Scott said, indeed, the world, the flesh and the devil are all together marshaled against us and are too much, too strong for us. We have tremendous opposition, tremendous competition, uh, committed agents of destruction to destroy us. We have committed uh, people in our lives that do not like us, that want to destroy us. But can I tell you, church, on the other hand, there's God. Oh, there is a God. There may be several means of opposition. There may be several means of competition. But on the other hand, there is God. And God is for us. And if he is for us, then it doesn't matter how many agents that they put up against us doesn't matter how many armies they put up against us if God is for us then who can be against us and some of you and some of you know him by El Shaddai the Lord God Almighty and some of you know him by Edonai the Lord Master and some of you know him by Yahweh the Lord Jehovah and some of you know him by Jehovah Nisi the Lord is my banner my victory my bomb in Gilead my God that shows up when no one else shows up and some of you know him as Jehovah Raha the Lord is my shepherd he leads me through green passion. I may be going through a hard time, a difficult time, but I know that Jehovah Rara is on my side. And not, not only that, there's also Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there, which means that he's present, which means that he'll never leave me, which means that he'll never forsake me. That's my Jehovah Shama, but he's also Jehovah Tekishinu. The Lord is our righteousness, removing my guilt, removing my shame, removing all of my shame from me. For as far as the east is from the west, throwing my sin in the sea of forgetfulness. Doesn't matter who's against you. If God is on your side, you're going to be all right, Christian. And I'm not dumb. What about, what about Jehovah Jireh? The Lord will provide. I found out that he's a provider. I found out that if there is no other means, he'll make manna rain out of heaven because he's God. He's king and he's Lord. And not only is he Jehovah Jireh, he's also Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. I couldn't find peace in my house. I couldn't find peace at my job. But there is peace in the living God. That's right. Give him some praise. As Job said, as Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Oh, what about the psalmist in Psalms 37 verse 9? But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And what about Psalms 138 verse 3? And in the day when I cried out, you answered me. And you made me bold with strength in my soul. God strengthens us from our inner being. What a great God we serve. So that brings me to my next point. God is on our side. In spite of, in spite of all these enemies, Paul still says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Instead of Paul asking the naive question of who is against us, the essence of the question is contained in the if clause. If, rather, since God is for us, who can be against us? Paul, now having the background knowledge of God's labor to save his children, dares someone to touch them. All the powers of hell may engulf around us, but we cannot be touched. God has, with omnipotent power, protected his children. Paul, now desiring to bring this section 
of Romans to a close ends with a sort of doxology that is praise to God because of his love for us. Paul knows standing in awe of the Lord of the universe in view of all that he has done, that he has given up his son, that he has forgiven us of our sins, that is making us right with him. And he also has brought us into his family and he's also given us his spirit and he's also promised us eternal glory. I want to repeat those again because I want you to know the weight of what God has done for you. I want you to understand the weight of what he has done. God has given up his son for the forgiveness of our sins and making us right with himself. Not only that, he goes beyond that because he could have made us slaves. He could have, he, he could have made us friends, but instead he made us sons and daughters. I mean, he could have made us a lot of things. He could have made us robots, but instead he made us, he made us sons and daughters. And he, and he, and he brings us into his family and, And not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us and to comfort us and to be with us. Do you feel the richness of your God? And not only that, he promised us eternal glory. Anybody want to go to glory this morning? Not only did he do all that, he also said, I'm going to throw glory in there for you so you can bask in my presence, so you can enjoy me forever. God did exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever think or ever imagine. Do you feel the weight and the richness of your God and King this morning? Satan can't condemn us because we have been justified by the blood of Christ. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And you say, Dexter, I get that. He may have saved us from Satan, but... But Dexter, what about the world? The world can't overcome us because Christ has overcome the world. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And you say, Dexter, I understand that he's taking care of Satan and he's taking care of the world. But you did mention that another enemy was myself. So what about self? You don't have to worry about self neither. Indwelling sin can't destroy us because God will finish his work in us. For Philippians 1, 6. And, and I'm sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Church, let us stand on the promises of God. Give him some praise. You know you're preaching good when they brought you a dish towel. All right. Praise God. Now, I want to I want to illustrate this for you in uh, something that we all can relate to uh, what it is for God to be uh, for us. And we can illustrate this through marriage. We know a man is committed to a woman if he marries her. Side note, if he's not willing to marry you, let him go. Okay. Sorry, but if you love her, marry her. If you like it, should have put a ring on. He is saying, I'm with you through thick and thin to death do us part. The more the man gives in the marriage, sacrifice for her joy, the more she knows he is for her. Especially if he gives things up dear to him for her sake. 
If he only tells her he loves her without ever sacrificing, his words become less believable. It is imperative that he sacrificially serves his wife for the degree he is willing to serve her for her sake. He displays to her, I am for you. Likewise, brothers and sisters, God is committed to us. He has sacrificed so much that we might be his own. If we could grab the magnitude of the father's sacrifice for us today, I think we will leave here with massive hope, knowing he is for us. Listen to one commentary on this. If there is anything the good news of Christ reveals, it is that God is fundamentally for us. He is on our side from beginning to end. Salvation is a matter of God's gracious initiative in expression of his sovereign love for us, his chosen ones. Bethel Gary, who is stronger than God? His power transcends all things. Who can successfully be against this church? God has secured and promised to bring us home safely. Therefore, when all the powers assemble in oppositions towards you, they are automatically setting themselves up in opposition towards God. Why? God has made it his mission to glorify himself in and through your life. At the root of your salvation is the glory and fame of God. Therefore, God acts for his namesake on your behalf to bring you home to him. God will not lose you. Therefore, believer, if life at times is overwhelming, rest in the fact that God is for you. Are you overwhelmed with guilt? God is for you. Are you struggling in marriage? God is for you. Are you battling cancer? God is for you. Did your boyfriend leave you because you started going to church? God is for you. Many of you might fear that you will be enslaved again to your old self. We are often afraid that our old Pharaoh will arise again to enslave us. Church, let me let me remind you of the last Pharaoh that tried to enslave God's children. Church, the greatest thing to hear is God is for you. But there is nothing more terrifying than to have the living God against you. I am against you, declares the Lord. And this phrase is often found in the Old Testament prophetic books. Oftentimes, this was spoken against the nations like Assyria and and Babylon and Egypt. It was even said to Israel in her sin and moreover to her false teachers and false prophets. God said that I am against you and there is no more terrifying thing than to have the living God in opposition against you. Because who will deliver you from the hands of God? There is no judicial court to go to. And when God, when God is, there's no further, you can't go anywhere. There's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. He is an absolute authority. If God is against you, who will deliver you? No one. And so we get a clear picture of what it is for God to be against a man or a nation in Exodus. God had commanded Pharaoh to to let my people go. Instead of obeying the words of the Lord, Pharaoh rebelled and kept the people of Israel in slavery. God shows Pharaoh who's boss by sending the ten plagues on him. God destroyed almost everything. Yet Pharaoh still took it upon himself to enslave God's people. Pharaoh went after them and God destroyed him and his entire army. They were washed away in the Red Sea. Pharaoh was no match for the living God. Hear me on this. Your enemies are no match 
for you because God is for you. Your enemies is no match for the living God. Your enemies are no match for the living God. No matter what you're going through, God is greater. God is better. God is bigger. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent, omnibenevolent. He is greater. He is far greater than anything that can oppose us. And he is for us. A God that does the impossible. We worship a God that speaks planets into being. We worship a God that exists before time. Fear what? What can man do to you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Paul launches that question into the universe. He says he dares anyone to to leave their place and step to this God. For there is no one that can stand against him. And there is one thing that is sure. We need him every day, every day of the week, every day of our lives. We need him. We need a God that is there always. I needed him on the first. I needed him on the second. I needed him on the third. I needed him on the fourth. I needed him on the fifth. I needed him on the sixth. I needed him on a Monday. I need him on Friday. I need him on Saturday. I need God every day of the week. We need him. And he is a God that will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. And Paul is confident that God is for us. Because he has called us out of darkness. God chose to bring you into his kingdom. God has justified you by the death of his son. And God will complete our sanctification by making us like Jesus on the last day. So as a final thought. This promise is sealed through the death of Christ. I want to leave your hearts on the gospel. Listen to the last part of our verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How would he not also with him graciously give us all things? Bethel Gary, all of us have sinned against God, a holy and just God. We found it more desirable to seek our joy in the things of the world. We we are at one point puffed up about ourselves and full of ourselves at one point in our lives. And God was righteously angry with us and the consequence of your sin was the eternal wrath of God being poured out on you in eternity for hell, in hell. And here's our dilemma. We didn't have anything to offer God to reconcile or mend the broken relationship. It would have been unjust of God to pardon our sins and drop our charges without giving us the due penalty of our error. God being the only hope in the situation does what we could not do. He provides the sacrifice necessary for our sufficient payment. And through the cross of Jesus, he both satisfies his wrath by making sufficient payment for our sins. So that he remains just and setting us free forever by justifying us in Christ. The greatest proof that this promise is true. That God is for you is that God didn't spare his son. Feel the weight and the scope and the magnitude of that. That God did not spare Christ. Do you remember his words to Abraham in Genesis? You did not withhold from me even your son, your only son. I want you to really feel the weight of this. It was not easy, church, for God the Father to give up Christ. Would you give your child up for thieves, robbers, and murderers, and liars? Indeed, you will not. God the Father 
and God the Son have coexisted in eternity in love before this world has ever existed. The Father loves the Son and vice versa. It is a love that is beyond the love we know. It is an energy of love flowing between the Father and the Son that exceeds all the energy accumulated in the entire universe. This love is powerful between them. And the Father values and treasures his Son with deep affections. Christ was perfect in every way. Christ is infinitely desirable. He is infinitely admirable. He is infinitely valuable. He is infinitely enjoyable. He is infinitely satisfying. And yet, and yet, church, he didn't spare him, but he gave him up for us all. God gave Jesus up for you. And think about that for a moment. We are dirty enough to be eternally crushed and turned into dust. Instead, he decided to show mercy on us. I got that from a rapper. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave up Christ for you. His son was beaten, mocked, scorned, spit on for our sake. And the greatest injustice this world will ever see is the son of God murdered. And who would have known that God would cross seas valleys and mountains to save us if he would display love so great for us surely he is for us and if God is for us who can be against us and God has even proven in the everyday things in life Bethel Gary that he is for us God has blessed us with tremendous growth our launch team was 40 strong and yet the Lord has blessed us in growth God blessed us to have a successful and amazing summer camp. God blessed us to have an amazing back-to-school book bag giveaway with our partners, PK Management, where 400 people were blessed. And God blessed us to have an amazing grand opening where 300-plus people showed up. And God blessed us to have an amazing Hispanic Heritage Celebration. And God blessed us to start a youth group called Epic, where there is about 35 young people that attend. You can give God praise for all that he's done. See what God has done among us, church. God has blessed us to start a young adults ministry called Bethel Live, where our young adults can learn and grow in Christ. And not only did he do that, God has blessed us with amazing leaders that love him. And believe me, it is hard to find churches where leaders love God. And God has blessed us with an amazing congregation that loves him and serves him. And so thank you for that. And not only that, God has blessed us to stay faithful to his word. And nevertheless, Bethel Gary, I don't think God is done with us yet. In fact, I believe God is just getting started. And we ought to give all thanks and praise and glory to God in all of this. For there is one thing I am certain of. None of this will be possible without the Lord on our side. May our boast not be found in what was done, but the one who made it possible to be done. And I pray you'll rest in God in 2015 and beyond because we set our hope on God. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. Let's give him praise for all he has done.